Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really grateful to have partnered with some really great sponsors who provide services that I think many of you would enjoy, find useful, and want to support. The first is OOM. That's O-O-M at oom.earth, oom.earth. OOM has created an industry-changing process for collecting, removing labels, and cleaning and sanitizing used wine bottles so that they can be reused. The cause of the most carbon emissions by the wine industry by a significant margin is the glass bottle, and the recycling rate on wine bottles is troublingly low. OOM just helps solve both of these problems for winemakers at a price you'd likely pay for new glass. If you're a winery who cares about reducing your carbon footprint and having a lighter ecological impact, check out OOM at oom.earth. Use referral code OWP and let them know you heard about them here on the Organic Wine Podcast. Also, if you're considering a holiday in Portugal and Spain, consider booking a luxury wine and food tour with Catavino Tours. Catavino Tours is in the process of making your wine vacation with them emissions neutral or better if possible. They are finding ways to reduce waste and make your trip more deeply educational and meaningful. They are currently booking for a natural and sustainable Portugal wine tour this fall, and you can have an enriching experience while also supporting this podcast by booking at catavinotours.com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast. That's C-A-T-A. V-I-N-O Tours with an S dot com slash O-W-P. And my third sponsor is actually the guest for this episode, Stephen Wilson of Vermont Vineyards. I met Stephen at the Vidinord conference where Vermont Vineyards was also a sponsor and I admired him and his approach of viticulture enough to suggest that we have a, this conversation. And I guess the feeling was mutual because he simultaneously suggested sponsoring this podcast. The result is that you can go to vtvineyards.com slash OWP and hire Stephen to install a vineyard for you. And that vineyard installation will support this podcast. That's vtvineyards with an S dot com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast. If you've considered planting your own vineyard or even just putting in a few vines for landscaping features like over a pergola or fence... Then you'll find this conversation helpful, since both Stephen and I plant vineyards in backyards and even larger landscapes, in front yards in my case, and since we do this in the very different contexts of Southern California in my case and Vermont in his case, we have a wide range of perspectives and approaches to compare and discuss. So this episode is chock full of ideas about this. We don't get highly technical, but we do get to some of the dirty details and realities of being a vineyard caretaker. And we have a lot of fun doing it. So there's some very valuable information for potential vineyard owners and some important ideas for everyone to consider. And both Stephen and I find tending vines to be very rewarding work on multiple levels. Stephen's idea actually for Vermont Vineyards was born during the pandemic and grew from a desire to heal and enrich other people's lives with a reconnection to the natural world through vines. Stephen and I talk about the Vermont wine scene, and we both want to acknowledge that we couldn't talk about everyone. There are and have been many wine growers who we didn't mention by name and who have done much important work for Vermont wine. Since this is not a conversation about the history of Vermont wine, we inevitably omitted lots of people who deserve mention and respect. Enjoy and happy spring. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for doing this. It's really fun to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, I can't wait to share some of my story and uh, share some of about my business with you and your listeners. Well, well, what, why don't we just start by, can you introduce yourself and, and what the name of your business is, where you are, that kind of thing, general, general stuff? Yeah, uh, for sure. My business is called Vermont Vineyards. Um, I'm Stephen Wilson, and I'm in Vermont. And uh, the business <laughs> is, uh, it's a few phases, uh, but mostly what we do is we build vineyards. We design and plant vineyards. That's one phase. We maintain and manage uh, established vineyards. That's another phase. And then we also broker deals for fruit. So we, we find and connect buyers and sellers in the wine grape market here in Vermont. Nice. And I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think your your emphasis, if if uh, your clients are on board, is uh, you know organic and biodynamic 
vineyards as well. Is that correct? That's correct. The emphasis is um, on uh, organic farming, natural farming, um, however you want to call it. We don't personally use any kind of um, chemicals. Uh, we spray as little as possible, but in Vermont, um, it helps. Uh, but yeah, we we communicate with each client individually and see what their inclination is and kind of what their values are. And we consult with them as to what the best farming practice will be for them and uh, and their their specific project. And so having said that, there you also you you haven't let on that you've sort of capitalized on a niche in of vineyards. So it's not just I mean, I'm sure you would do any vineyard for anybody, but how you got started was backyard vineyards, right? Or what you're calling backyards, sort of like personal small backyard vineyards, like a, a home vineyard for somebody. Yeah. Originally that was the plan. So um <laughs> when <laughs> when the pandemic hit in, in 2020, I guess March of 2020. Um, I found myself working in the home vineyards that I'd established here on my property in, in uh, a little town outside of Burlington. And I found a lot of comfort in that at a really unstable time in, you know, human history, I guess. Mm. And I thought maybe I can share this with other folks. Maybe people who are stuck at home are going to want to do this kind of thing as a sense of like ecotherapy almost. Um, but beyond that, you know, we noticed that, that people were investing in their outdoor spaces because with COVID, we knew that being indoors was less uh, doable, right? So, so outdoor spaces became um, comforting. And so, so did out, outdoor activities like gardening and, and, and tending to vines or trees or uh, veggies, whatever the case is. Um, and it was a good time of year too, right? It was, uh, it was spring. So getting stuff in the ground made sense. Uh, but, but yeah, so when I originally had the idea, it was to work on residential vineyards to replicate that feeling that I had just mentioned um, for myself. Right. Uh, but really since then, I didn't it, realize that was part of your story. That's really cool. And, and yeah. so in other words, by sharing, by, by, you you hoped to help people by sharing the heartache of owning a vineyard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So in hindsight, maybe it was a little sinister, but, uh, but, <laughs> but no, the, no, the intention totally, was good. Yeah. No, I'm totally, yeah. I mean, like I, I have a, I have a back and front yard vineyard and yeah, it's like having the, the requirement, knowing that you need to go care for those, those beings um, on a regular basis whether you want to or not, gets you out of your house. If you're working at home, if you're stuck at home, if you're you know sequestered at home, um, quarantined at home, whatever it is, yeah, you, right. you get out there, and you know, no, I mean, even if it is like, oh, it's on my calendar, I got to go out and do a, a spray if I don't want all the grapes to be destroyed by powdery mildew or whatever it is. Um, once you're out there, like the time sort of becomes timeless and you are just, you get involved in doing that thing. At least I do, you know, I mean, can speak for myself and you, you're communing in a way that you, that just reabsorbs you and takes you away from everything that you were obsessed with inside your house. And it is therapeutic. It's really beautiful. It's a lovely way to do it. And I think that's a, I didn't realize that was part of your story. I think that's. Yeah. Um, thank and, you. I I'm, I'm glad to, uh, you know, share that part with you. And, and that's, that's definitely, um, what made it so valuable to me was, was getting out and being, uh, outside and, and doing something productive and doing something regimented. It was, it was huge for me. And, and although in the last few years, maybe that's not everybody's motivation to install a, a vineyard uh, at their home or otherwise, uh, for some people it will be. And that's, and that's super gratifying for me and um, makes the work that I do uh, really worth it. But, yeah, yeah. But, so, but just so to get back to like the, the residential versus commercial, originally, yeah, yes, it was all meant to be uh, backyard vineyards, this very niche product. Um, and while that is something that I love to uh, offer as a product, it's not the majority of, of what we do necessarily anymore. We're 
working to install commercial vineyards in Vermont and New York. Uh, we're maintaining commercial vineyards that are operating for wine production uh, in Vermont and some that are uh, also residential management projects as well. But uh, and then the, the fruit brokering is also uh, an interesting part of the whole equation at the on the back end at harvest. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's no longer just it's kind of morphed into something more than just the original plan, which was the backyard vineyards. This is really interesting. I, lo- I, I mean, yeah, it's it, well, I'm glad it has grown for you. That's always good. And I, I'm, I mean, it brings up a lot of interesting things. I love the idea of a, of a backyard vineyard culture. I mean, I think if you go to somewhere like Italy, you realize that is, has always been part of thing, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I, it's funny. I went to Taurasi and Campania, you know, like Taurasi, where the wine, it's sort of like, I mean, it's not as well known as something like Chianti or Barolo, but it's the same idea. Taurasi is the town and the, and it's a DOCG that the, the wine is named after as well. They're growing, you know, because it's a very specific hilltop town. And anyway, Taurasi wines are made with Alianica, which is basically undrinkable for 20 years. <laughs> you know, so sure. It's like this high acid, <laughs> high tannic wine that like you just have to forget about for a decade or more before you try to drink it. Or if you don't want to like strip your throat. Um, and but yeah, but it's lovely once you know when it's well done and when it when it is aged, it's incredible. And then we so we're there. We we go to a couple wineries, and you know they're big like you know hillside things. It's like going anywhere, um, a big commercial venture. And then we were starving, and we were in the middle of it was like the middle of the afternoon when you know everything just shuts down, especially in these little small country towns in the middle of nowhere. And we found this one place that at least the door was open and we just like po- poked our head and we're like, do you have any food? And they, they graciously let us come in. And it was one of those places where it's like, do you, you know, do you want just like, uh, like a, a bowl of pasta or would you like a whole meal? And, and that's it. That was your menu choices, you know, kind of thing. And we're like, we'll take the whole meal. <laughs> and they just start bringing out courses of charcuterie and, you know, and mozzarella. And then like, the, and then they're like, do you want some wine? And we're like, we'd love some wine. And the table wine that they brought was just, was just grown by one of their neighbors in their backyard. And it was the best wine we had in Del Rossi. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that kind of thing, you know, sticks with me as like something that is easily replicable in, in, in other parts of the world, especially in the U.S., where we have uh, we tend to have lots of space in our backyards and suburban backyards, there's a lot you know lots more land that you could easily grow enough to make a barrel of wine, um, and and it could be so much more a part of our culture. And yeah, anyway, I love right. I love that culture, and and what it brings up for me is this idea of do you notice that people care more about what is going how that vineyard is cared for in terms of the sprays that are used, you know, the actual inputs into that vineyard because it's in their backyard versus the commercial clients that you work with, where there's a little, you know, there's an arm's length experience of growing grapes. That's an interesting question. Um, And I'm not sure we have the data to answer it properly uh, because we're, everything is so new. Um, But I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know, people's people who are putting these vineyards in at their houses, their dogs are running around, their kids are running around, you know, they have to be in close proximity to the vines. So, yeah, I think they're a little more conscious. At least the clients we've worked with so far have expressed that um, kind of thinking. Yeah. So I think it's yeah, I think it's probably true. And over the years, we'll learn that it's even more true. Um but we also kind of attract a certain a certain type of client that's that's already interested in natural production, and maybe maybe it's all the more reason the fact that it's the project will exist in their backyard that they want to pursue those types of farming techniques. Um, most of the commercial worker or commercial projects we work on, they're the same, right? We we find okay. that the folks that we're working with so far have been um, of the mind that they want to be involved in natural wine, and it's probably to some extent because that movement has picked up so much steam in the last few years in this region um so i imagine if we're at this long enough we're going to find folks of a different perspective that will want to you know use conventional farming techniques and try and um hit certain yields and and 
whose business models will require certain margins and they'll ultimately make that decision and 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 maybe we'll see more conventional farming as a result but right now uh there isn't a whole lot of planted acreage in vermont and so the project sizes that do exist commercially uh can be managed naturally a little bit more easily so we haven't come across any major difference between residential and commercial in terms of approach to farming practice but i imagine eventually we will well and maybe it's worth talking about the fact that you're in vermont and you vermonters are of a certain bent i think it's fair to say there's a there's a a (laughs) y'all y'all are hippies (laughs) yeah well well you've spoken with a couple of different folks from vermont now and uh i've loved those episodes one was the um the guys at Montpelier Vineyards, and yeah. they're obviously organic certified, both vineyard and winery, right? Um, which is which is tricky to do, but representative of a type of thinking here in Vermont that is maybe uh, more common than in other places uh, <laughs> for the for the fact that we're a bunch of hippies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, but the but the value of Vermont products has always been. Um, well, maybe hasn't always been, but but I mean, has a reputation for a long both, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a I while, mean, I mean, has a reputation regionally up here in New England, but also nationally. I think um, because of of the I don't know. It's got to be to do with the people making the product, right? I mean, it's yeah. not it's, it's not all the the um, terroir, but um, from maple syrup over to beer in the last twenty years. Um, yeah, and dairy products as well. Yeah. yeah. Vermont's got a, got a good reputation. And that's a lot of the reason why I believe in, in the work that we're doing and the project that we're working on. Um, because I believe that Vermont wine is, is going to follow that same trajectory that, that craft beer has over the last maybe 20 or 30 years. Um, once enough investment is put into the industry to, uh, produce, more wine uh, and more varieties of wine and and more different labels. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, just as a personal note, I work at a uh, I work at a wine bar a couple nights a week here in Santa Monica. Offhand wine bar, just just a shout out because it's an awesome wine bar, and uh, we use Vermont butter. <laughs> All right, and, yeah, <laughs> Cabot. Uh, I that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think you could get Cabot pretty much anywhere, but oh yeah, I think it's it seems a little more rare than Cabot. I mean, I don't know. It's very special. I don't know how special Cabot is. Maybe Cabot is super special, but um, I mean, it's like I, like this sounds crazy. I'm becoming a bit of a butter connoisseur, and it's not just because of this. I mean, I like I've, I've begun to realize that butter, like any natural product, has terroir. It has you know, variation from season to season, if you're actually doing it naturally, if you know, if you're, and, and from cow to cow and from farm to farm. And so literally every farm at every different time of the year can make a different kind of butter, like it can taste different. And, and this is the thing that we've lost from, you know, not being as tied to our agricultural past, but, you know, because now all we eat is like, you know, you can either get this kind of butter or that kind of butter. And it's always the same, you know, all like, it's pretty homogenized at this right. point, um, big industrial butter, but, uh, butter has this potential to be this incredible flavor experience and exploration of terroir. And, uh, you know, so I'm getting more and more into it, but it's like that butter that we serve is freaking delicious. Like it's definitely better than, you know, like stuff that I can get at, at a grocery store here. So, yeah. And, and it's that, like, it's like anything, right. Um, the what you're describing in butter i mean it it pertains to uh you know wine or 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 beer or whatever craft right. product you're you're creating uh you're capturing a, a moment in time and place yeah and, and if the product of soil microbiology and yeah everything yeah, yeah it's and it's and it's something that you know is is uh maybe we play it up a little bit in Vermont but we also I think we believe in it too. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and I think you preserve it. You preserve the the health of of your ecosystem there in I mean you're conscientious about that I think is I think part of that because I, I think that there is that connection. Um I mean I, st- I mean like I I know from like the 60s. I mean it seems like it's just always been that way in Vermont. Like it went from you know, sort of small family farms to being like a hippie commune to, 
who you know moved and you know like squatted on the farms or whatever and then um i'm totally kidding but but it does it, <laughs> it does seem like it never lost that it's always sort of had that and and i i mean i think in terms of of grape wine i think the reputation that i'm beginning to see develop is vermont is the place for fine natural wine like you know, like if you want the finest, most beautiful natural wine in the U.S., maybe check out Vermont. Um, it's just that scene is really exciting that what's happening there. Yeah. And we, you know, certainly do check out Vermont. I, I, I don't think, you know, it's tricky. We're at an interesting point in uh, the history of wine in Vermont because we're at such a early stage. Right. Um, right. We have something like one to two hundred total planted acres. Right. Um, used commercially, right? And and right. so, like by comparison, our neighbors to the north in Quebec have thousands, and our yeah. neighbors to the west in New York have tens of thousands of planted acres. And so, what we're you can doing, actually, you can actually count the number of acres that you're responsible for in that total. It's not, yeah. not lost in that total. You gotta... no, we're we're not. I mean, I'm. I'm <laughs> we don't represent a huge percentage of that, but a a percentage of it, and and. So it's just an interesting, it's such an interesting time because so much of our planted acreage is going toward natural um, yeah. as a result of the, the kind of perspective that we've been talking about here in Vermont. And I'm fascinated to find out when that will change, right? Because we're at this stage where a few of the founders of Vermont wine, right? Like uh, Ken Albert at Shelburne Vineyards and Deirdre Heakin at Lagaragista and Dave Boyden at Boyden Valley, they kind of did the research and established the fact that this region can be um, suitable for making really nice wine. Um, and so now we're at this next phase where there are a few different drivers of the, you know, of the industry. Um, you spoke with, with Kendra Napick at Ellison Estate a few episodes back. Great show, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, Justine Lambright exactly at, at Calche and um and then you know a handful of others David Keck at Stella 14 but they're all you know driving the industry forward um because it was established that it it can't you know it is viable there are wines that are made that are delicious from the fruit that's grown here in Vermont so so we have those those folks moving it forward but they're doing it in that same kind of um you know template of natural wine and so we have a really fair representation of, of natural producers here. Um, a high percentage of what we produce is, is that. So I think, it's, I think it's appropriate for you to say, yeah, come, come to Vermont and, and check out the natural stuff if that's what you're after. But in the next, you know, 5, 10, whatever it is, 20 years, I think there's going to be a point where the word is out on Vermont wine and people are trying to get involved in any capacity they can both mm. because they're interested in natural wine and also because they're interested in the business opportunity. And right. eventually that's going to result in conventional practices and, and, and mechanized um, farming practices that right. will lead to conventional uh, use of, of chemicals and pesticides and, and, uh, you know, it'll just be interesting to see how easily that n the natural um, do you do you see yourself producers can pessimist? hold on? No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't think that's I don't think that it's necessarily no, I, pessimistic it, or optimistic, but maybe maybe just reasonable. Yeah, but yeah. but who knows? I could be wrong. the 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 craft aspect of it could could hang on uh, better than I think. And, and who knows, it may never be because it's such a hostile growing environment. It may never be possible to do that, uh, conventional project that has, you know, all mechanized systems. The mm. thing about farming here is, is as, as it, as it relates to, uh, you know, vines and wine grapes is the technical handwork is so essential. Um, we have so much disease pressure that, and other kinds of pressures, pest pressure, you just need to be in the vineyard making a lot of physical touches at each plant. So where in other climates you can get away with mechanized farming practices is a little more tricky here. So, you know, maybe that will never come into play. 
maybe maybe that project is is a little too pie in the sky and and will forever be out in our vineyards well, <laughs> in the I in mean, the dead of winter doing a thousand cuts by hand <laughs> right but you know i i do think that you are the future of vermont wine in a big way i mean in a real way uh, you and the people that we just mentioned that that i've talked to are you know other people that i've talked to are are truly like the founders of what's going to happen moving forward and the influencers of what's going to happen moving forward and you know to the extent that i think you guys are coming from these values i think you you have a lot of a lot more power than maybe you even know to to shape what that future will look like in terms of a craft beverage scene there and so you know don't don't short yourself i think like you 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 know by just uh talking about what you're doing and and having the values that you have will probably make a big uh impact on on where it goes and how it will shape even when it becomes more commercial because you'll be there you know for that i think yeah yeah um, well thank you i appreciate that but i want to emphasize you know that where the industry goes is going to be not completely but but almost completely up to the winemakers right we we support the winemakers we are advocates for vermont wine um and the industry because it it is completely relevant to our business, right? Um, but those winemakers are are driving the industry, and while we're here on the periphery of it, kind of being a, an infrastructural support system, um, mm. we're not we're not doing the art that is the winemaking. So I I appreciate the compliment. That- you're you're nice to to <laughs> say it, but I want to make it clear. I, my feeling is that that these winemakers are 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 kind of I don't know how to put it, but they're exponentially more significant than we are in the history of Vermont wine and whatever that becomes. And especially, especially as it relates to natural wine, because yeah, we make a little bit of wine ourselves, but, but just for personal consumption, the people out there doing the legwork and making the wine for sale, as you know, that's hard. And, uh, but they're doing great. Well, I mean, I will, uh, you you know, I, I appreciate your humility in saying that, which, is, you know, I think is lovely. But I also think, you know, you're talking to me and I'm so pro, like the winemaking is completely meaningless to wine. Like it's all about the wine growing. <laughs> like I'm going to totally disagree with you. Wait, and, wait, like... let me, let me, let me jump in and make a, make a quick note here because this is important. The winemakers that I'm describing and this isn't true everywhere, but this is another thing that makes that is probably the most significant factor as to why ver- the value of Vermont wine is what it is. Almost all of our winemakers, and I, I could probably even say all, all of our winemakers, are also their own wine growers. So yeah, everybody, everybody yeah. here farms. Everybody who who, who may, I shouldn't say everybody because I'm gonna I'm gonna misrepresent somebody. But 99% of our winemakers farm and they and they grow the grapes themselves in the field so that's that's the distinction i need to make before we move on because because when you say winemaker i'm being i'm being myopic i'm being so myopic because everywhere else of course you have winemakers you have you have vineyard specialists you have wine growers you have farmers here it's 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 all one and the same in many many most cases and 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 all i mean is more that focus of you know what if if those winemakers are trying to make ecological choices because of the difficulty of growing there it just like it it is a place that demands ecological wine growing like it demands that you have resilience in the crops that you're using for wine it ha- it demands that you're thinking about things that can withstand these pressures that you have the harsh winters the hot humid summers and all the things that come with that insects you know and fungal d- pressures and those will become as important as I, I i mean to me like those need to be weighed in your decision about what you're planting and making wine with as much as flavor decisions and so that and i think that is where you know change comes from like you start you, you're you're going to have to incorporate a different way of thinking about these things you have to think about continual adaptation and breeding and selection of vines and not thinking about i mean i just think vermont can't think about wine the way that california thinks about wine is like we're gonna perpetuate a french you know an english approved french idea of what wine is 
because we can, because we can pretty much grow anything here with very little pressure. You know, we, we have to spray a bit and yada yada. And sometimes we have to worry about droughts and floods. But otherwise, you know, yeah. <laughs> and otherwise fire, right? it's pretty of ideal course. and fire. Yeah, um, of course. Of course, in Vermont, we have to we have to be um, flexible and we have to adapt. Uh, and we're seeing that, right? You A couple of weeks ago, you spoke with, um, I believe it's Mike from Apollo Vineyards in New Hampshire, right? And yeah. he's talking about, He's talking about um, how yeah, he's grown Frontenac varieties. Yesterday, yeah. Oh, okay, right, right. I was just trying to do the podcast thing, right? It'll be in a couple weeks <laughs> oh, it when was somebody a couple listens weeks. to this. Yeah, by right? the time this... <laughs> yes, you're absolutely no, right. I'm getting ahead <laughs> of myself, right? But the um, but so he's he's talking about doing all the for for years he's grown the Frontenac varieties and now he's he's planted a bunch of Itasca, um, right. right? Which which is one of those kinds of um, you know adaptive. Uh, decisions that are adaptations that that we'll we'll need to make here in Vermont too, yeah. you know, or New Hampshire or or wherever. Just finding the most disease resistant varieties, the cold hardiest varieties um, that will suit our our harsh uh, environment here. And yeah. and yeah, so it it does it 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 um, necessitates ecological decision making. One super uh, useful resource that we have here as it relates to that is a nursery in Southern Vermont, um, called Northeastern Vine Supply. And it's run oh, yeah. by a guy, uh, a couple named Andy and India farmer who are just, they produce some of the best, um, bare root vine product that I've seen. And we're so lucky to have that kind of resource for, for my business, especially, but they're always pushing the envelope of, of, you know, what's next and, and what can grow well here. Um, so that folks like Mike, at Apollo are able to, you know, experiment with right. a couple acres of Itasca or whatever the case is. Uh, right. And, and so, yeah, we're, we, I think, and, and, you know, and I was, with... I was giving a lot of credit to the wine growers and winemakers in Vermont, but that particular business deserves a lot of credit too, because they're doing this research and development work that is like absolutely essential to the landscape of the wine industry in Vermont and really in the entire country because they they supply the entire country with these bare root vines of all different hybrid varieties. So just a shout out to them because it, it's truly, we wouldn't exist without them um, That's a really because good, of how good their product is. I mean, uh, using taking a cue from you, but a few weeks ago, I also released <laughs> uh, a podcast about um, some breeders in Ohio and you know, we, we, we dug into a lot of these ideas of like how to support, like, you know, sort of like, like your local breeder, like how to give them the credit that they're, you know, and, and support that they need because it's not a get rich quick scheme. And so it's actually like a get poor, slow scheme. Um, Right. So, you know, they need your support because like of, of what you just said, you know, they are really what drives like their innovation and and to to the extent that we can anybody who's farming i really you know like this is my other thing is like anybody who is farming and has a, a bit of land should be doing at least a bit of this you know you, you might not have to think about it on a commercial scale but have an experimental plot where you're planting from seed so it's you know i, I love that idea too of just you know supporting your local nursery your lo- local breeder and then you know doing your own thing as well and, and keeping that alive and well ongoing it's not uh there isn't a destination that we're trying to get to it's change is our our reality at all times right right and i i I like to kind of keep that perspective with the clients that we have building a vineyard for the first time you know they'll say okay so we got (laughs) well a bunch of questions about this okay good good but i was just gonna say a lot of times they'll say okay we've got these vines in the ground and and we we planted bare root vines right as we do for every every project that we work on and they say okay well can we propagate these eventually and i say yeah of course and it and you should try to uh just so that you can get a sense of of you know what what it really takes like what these nurseries are up against when they're delivering us these products for three four bucks a piece you know it's it's incredible work it's incredibly difficult work but it it kind of brings you a little bit closer to in touch with um you know how the plant really lives rather than just like seeing it kind of grow up your trellis system as uh, the first year growing season goes by 
it, it, it connects you to the project a little bit more to, to either grow something from seed or propagate or what have you. And so we do recommend, although it's not uh, something we suggest you do in bulk, like if somebody puts in an acre, we're not going to say propagate another acre. We'll probably help them with that. <laughs> but it's something good to do in small scale just to kind of get a sense um, for the reality of it. Yeah. That, so, well, this brings up what I was talking about. A good segue was what expectations. So, I, I mean, I should say I also tend and, uh, prop, you know, uh, install backyard vineyards here in Los Angeles, which is, you know, been a really interesting thing. And I've thought through a lot of the kind of conversations I've like, you know, consulted with a couple of people who are thinking of growing some mines. And basically after talking to me, they're like, I've decided not to plant something in, front <laughs> in my heart. And I'm like, okay. I don't mean to like scare you away, but it's like, you know, the idea that you're just going to do a decorative planting of Cabernet, for example, you know, here, I mean, obviously it's going to be a different vine there, but you know, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe there it's a, it, you have a little more of that flexibility, but people think like, oh, I love Cabernet. I'll plant some Cabernet vines. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years I can make a little, a couple bottles of Cabernet. And I'm like, so there's a few things you should know. Like it's, you know, it, in terms of if there's a scale of one to 10 on, and one being the easiest and 10 being the hardest in terms of horticulture, like vinifera is like a 10, like the amount of care and knowledge that you'd need to have to make it successful. Um, I mean, you can let them just do their thing, but it's essentially after a few years, you get nothing. You just have a wild vine growing around. Right. Um, and so I'm wondering, how do you, how do you have these, what kind of conversations do you have with your clients when they're like, I would love a backyard vineyard. Do you, do you try to dissuade them? I mean, <laughs> as a business person, like, what do you, how does that, uh, how right, does that conversation right. go down? Well, it's, it's, it's a balance, right? You have to set expectations realistically. It's a lot of work, you know, like I mentioned, you, you make a thousand touches per plant per year, probably right. you know, whatever, a lot of touches per plant per year. Right. Yeah. And not everybody who's seeking this, this type of project um, wants to do, wants to, or has the time to do that. So you have yeah. to set expectations realistically on the front end. A lot of the folks we work with are what I like to call doers. They have the inclination to get out in the, in the field and, and do this work. That's why they're that's why they're starting the project. So, um, yeah, of course we, we try and guide them toward the best varieties, uh, for their specific environment. And, and yeah, we're, we're always suggesting that folks use the most disease resistant, hardiest, uh, most self-sufficient varieties that we have access to. Um, but some people want specific varieties, right? Uh, there, there's a lot of Marquette that goes in the ground here because in Vermont, a bunch of, different producers have had success making single varietal Marquette wines. Yeah. Um, I know that you've talked to a couple folks that have done really well with Petite Pearl. Uh, yeah, shout out that, to Tom that like it's, yeah, that seems like that's a up and comer sort of yeah. like Marquette was. I mean, just Marquette was maybe a few years earlier and I feel like Petite Pearl is going to go through the same explosive uh, planting growth. Yeah. Uh, we've kind of, we've kind of found that to be true uh, based on trends that we've, we've kind of tracked in what we've planted, but yeah, you do the best you can to to set expectations, select the right varieties, um, and make the project give the project the best chance of being successful, given what you know about the people involved and the terroir. So, you know, we don't expect um, for any you know we, any project that we start, we don't expect to fail. We 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 guide people in the right direction. If uh, if we think it's too much, we we tell them honestly. Um, or we just kind of scale down the scope of the project. We don't do anything. We don't have a minimum, you know, I, I've put in eight plants for somebody before and called it a vineyard. So Vermont vineyards probably need some like quotation marks, but you know, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we, we try to keep it manageable. Right. And, yeah. and we do the best we can at the beginning of things to kind of suss out what is what is this particular client capable of in terms of management but yeah a lot of times that results in us saying hey this probably doesn't work out you know uh if you have a full-time job and and you're not here half the year then probably we shouldn't put vines in the ground here um yeah so so i find myself thinking the same as you with the cabernet sometimes uh i wish this could work out kind of thing but and then the other thing is we'll recommend like test plots like if somebody is like i want to put 100 vines in the ground we'll say maybe maybe start with 50 
see how it goes. Oh yeah. That's and, a great idea. And we've had a lot of success with that. And then people will come back and say, this was great. Let's do another 50 or, you know, this yeah. was probably the right amount. And, and so that's a, or thank God you talked me out of it yeah, because yeah, I can't yeah. even manage 50. <laughs> right. And nobody's ever saying, well, I wish I had 50 more. It's never, it's never the opposite. So yeah, it's a good, yeah. it's a good, uh, it's a good technique for setting expectations. 50 is a lot of vines. I mean, that's, 50 that'll can keep be a lot of vines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's manageable for sure, but yeah, it's, it's no joke. Um, I love that. I, I noticed that as you've been talking you know, when I would you use the word sort of like natural farming um, as opposed to, I mean, what does that mean to you? Natural farm. Yeah, you've got, so you've got, I'm going to, I'm going to keep referencing Mike here from Apollo. You've got the no spray technique, right? Right. right. And, uh, and, and so we've used that approach by necessity in certain circumstances where we've taken over a project, you know, late spring, early summer and, just done everything that we can to get as much old wood out of the vineyard as possible and had no real time to spray. And, and, uh, and so we've done that. That's, that's pretty natural, right? I would, I yeah. would argue. <laughs> I would say no spray is, yeah. It's pretty natural. natural. <laughs> the, the, I think just, um, in order to, to describe it, what's, what's consistently true for, for natural production here in Vermont is the use of, of, uh, organic, material sprays right so applications including like copper or sulfur or a clay protectant for pest management um i would consider that to be natural a natural approach but of course you know there's nuance right there's there some people may not may not see it that way and natural is such a such a subjective term right and that's i mean a whole nother conversation but that's kind of why natural wine is is maybe the buzzword over what used to be organic wine and why your podcast title is so interesting and requires a whole episode on describing it <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i'm still tempted to change the, eco the ecological wine podcast but no you're stuck you you know <laughs> it's recognizable it's got and yeah no it's good and it, it begs the question too which is a right. conversation starter so i think it's yeah. i think it makes sense not to get too deep on well, it also attracts people who but... are on the outside of all of these discussions and just know the term organic, you know, and like maybe they hate it, maybe they love it, but they don't know much beyond that. And at least there's it, it you know, I think it's welcoming to outsiders, whereas ecological is like, I have no idea what that means. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> Equally broad, slightly more confusing. Right. Um, so let me <laughs> let me flip it on you. I gave my natural wine, natural farming answer. What what do you see to be natural farming? Yeah, I mean, well, I, for sure what you said, I, I, I guess I, I, I don't use it. So I, I don't, you know, I try, I mean... I, I start using things like ecological, you know, to, to convey what I'm trying to talk about um, because it, yeah, it's so broad and it can have what I mean. So if I had, if I had to give you an answer to that, rather than <laughs> <an> aid, <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, it's farming based on observation and mimicry of your local natural ecosystem where you're doing that farming. And that right. can take any shape based on what, you know, here in the Southwest, it might look like cactus farming in Vermont. It, you know, I think it would be some sort of uh, vitiforestry or agroforestry, silvopasture kind of yeah. system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess and, I think I, I think I probably answered the way I did because I've been, I've been maybe programmed to uh, evaluate farming practice as it relates to what gets sprayed on the vines. Right. Yeah. And, and just, you know, same as you, I don't use it either. I, I try to avoid all of those words in describing um, what it is that we do when we establish a vineyard because I, you know, we work with different clients and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to try and impress my opinion on, on, on their project because there are so many different viable farming techniques out there and it just depends on who you are and what you value. So yeah, while I described it as it's commonly known or understood to be true in Vermont wine. I mean, I, I honestly like your answer better and it makes more sense to me, but <laughs> so it goes. <laughs> so, well, I, I want to go back to just your, your clients and their, you know, sort of getting them to wrap their heads around it. So let's say you get past that phase one where they're like, you know, their eyes are 
are opened now and they realize this is not a they're not just planting a maple tree in their backyard that will grow for 30 years and they will you know eventually be able to climb it and enjoy its shade and that kind of stuff it's it's a it is somewhere between like an annual garden and an apple tree or something like that where they they kind of need to constantly tend it and it's got cycles of you know different skills that they need to be aware of and know about and learn about so let's say they're like oh okay i get it how do you transmit do you i'm sure you offer them the ability to to handle all of that for them for a fee um but then what if they say oh i want to do this but i just don't know how like do you how do you transmit knowledge to them do you offer a class that they would need to sort of pay for or is it sort of like well join me while we tend this for the first year you know pay for the first year and pay attention we'll give you some pointers and then see if you can take it from there and you can always call us back if you need help kind of thing or how do you handle that yeah we're navigating moving them from open eyes to they actually need to learn some things yeah yeah we're we're navigating that um i don't have a (laughs) i don't have a great answer um Exactly, but but I can try. So we we have supportive services. We're a small team, so we we can get back in the field after the installation's completed and and walk you through significant um, aspects of maintenance. And we do that. Vermont's not huge, but it's it's not it's not easy to drive from you know one end to the other. So we have projects all over the state, and we have only so much time to be in every, you know, at every project that we've installed. So we also do remote consulting where we can kind of take a look over FaceTime and see what maybe a problem is and try and diagnose it. If it's not something we can identify, we'll, we'll, we'll make a visit. Um, and, and then, yeah, we can, we can kind of offer pruning help. We offer it's, this is not going to be a popular comparison, but I'm going to make it anyway. And if you get the pushback, then yeah, so be it. Uh, it's a really, really cool product that we offer because it's vines are kind of like a baby, right? Uh-huh. They have different attributes at each year, one through five, mm-hmm. and they're dra- drastically different each year. And, yeah. and that's what makes it such an awesome product, right? You, you, we're building something for somebody that's going to evolve over the next five years and it's going to require a certain amount of input um but the reward is like very tangible and you can track it by like a physically by a measure of inches every day at certain points of the year so it's it it, it's an awesome product it's such a fun way to interact with your your land and your space um but but yeah so but it evolves, right? So there's a lot of different right. decision-making things and maintenance-related right, things right. that you need to know. And if you don't necessarily know that, then then yeah, we are able to help, but maybe not in a full-spectrum way, but we're definitely there. We're still small enough that, that we're in touch with all of our clients and we're supportive that way and we're only a phone call away. But um, we're trying to build that out and eventually be a very full spectrum service. I actually, it's interesting. I, I, I designed this business based on something that exists in your neck of the woods in Southern California. And I may have told you this before, but, um, for Tracy in Wisconsin, the business in, in San Diego that I designed this after did it all right. They would, they would consult with somebody who was interested in building a vineyard, build, install the vineyard, design it, plant it, build the trellis, grow the grapes, maintain the grapes, you know, manage the vineyard through five years, take the fruit at harvest, go to their facility, press the fruit, make the wine and drop a case off on the front porch of the owner's house with their label yeah. and everything. So I can't do all that. <laughs> but <laughs> like, at one yet. point, we're, you know, we're moving in that direction. I don't know that I that that we will ever be able to do all that. But um maybe maybe we'll get closer and and we'll have a full spectrum of of maintenance services that can that can exist on the back end but like i said so many people want to do it themselves especially here in vermont that we haven't run into any issues with oh that's great well so let's say somebody's interested in doing this with you how do they get in touch with you most of our inquiries come uh through our website uh a lot of it i guess actually comes through instagram but uh yeah if if 
if you're able to find us, it's likely either, you know, you read about our <laughs> first year business a couple of years ago in our local newspaper, The Seven Days, or you saw us on Instagram because, you know, some, someone you knew was aware of one of our projects or, or built one of our projects. We're still super word of mouth um, driven, which is a wonder that we were able to get on your radar here and, and actually do the do the show. Um, this will be easily the, the most exposure we've had to any audience, I would think, uh, outside of Vermont or inside of Vermont. But yeah, I mean, the number that you call is my is on the website is my direct phone number. Um, we're we're that's, pretty uh, accessible like that. VTVineyards.com. That's right. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that got stated. stated VT for Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> VT Vineyards, plural. It's vineyards, right? such a the difficulty nest. when telling people the, the email address. <laughs> gotcha. Regret, but oh well. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, I made up a weird name for a winery and yeah i've been dealing with that ever since <laughs> yeah <it's... laughs> if it's a word that people don't know they don't know how to spell it and so you, you have right. to spell it and then people still spell it wrong because they don't listen because they make assumptions i mean this is a really interesting thing about human psychology is like I, i've been grappling with this in trying to convey this idea of of an ecological approach to wine which is using these same terms that people already assume that they understand like wine and vineyard and things like that you know they people just assume that they know what that means and so if, unless i come up with a whole different word that they don't know in trying to redefine and like revisualize what wine and vineyards can be i'm i'm coming up against this thing in human psychology where we can't learn something that we don't already know like it is this right. weird you know it's the paradox of our our ability to learn which is like until, and so to me, I've become really, like, I guess what I've, like, we, we were talking about imagination. I've begun to realize that this is like the key to our liberation. Like imagination is like the key to our liberation as, as a species, because unless you can use your imagination to just get a piece of something new, I mean, this is how you move to the next thing. You start to build this sort of castle in the sky with your imagination, and then eventually it becomes so substantive that you begin to see it in the world. And then you're like, oh, new knowledge. Like, whoa. But it takes like this ability to bridge that psychological gap with your imagination. And and so as a teacher, I just have so much respect for teachers because of this. It's like, you know, it's why so much teaching is really, you know, psychology. It's really just like, uh, uh, you know, like therapy for for people because you're, you know, so much of that, actual learning new stuff is so difficult and is about the mental state of the the the, the student you know and, and how their ability their receptiveness and their ability to imagine these things and if you don't have their attention if you don't have the receptiveness how can they ever imagine a new concept um and that anyways, that reminds me that reminds me of of kind of your work with like the it's hard to say the the varietals in wine and the names of varietals in wine yeah. right yeah and and trying to kind of oh my god this is exactly it disengage yeah. from from the common concept of what varietals are acceptable and what varietals are delicious and and vermont would benefit so much from that because if you just put our wines next to somebody and said drink them and they had no concept for what and people are definitely getting better about not better. Yeah. This that sounds preachy. The people are are starting to be more open to hybrid wines and hybrid varietals in wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if there just weren't these An names, experimenting. And, and if there was more imagination around what wine could be, Vermont would definitely benefit from that. Um, and I mean, we and all I think, would. Yeah, I would, and I think I that. Argue. Yeah, sure. Every maybe maybe the yeah maybe it would be good for the vinifera producing regions too. I think that there's definitely truth in that and. And I think that's kind of at least a little bit adjacent to what we're doing is just trying to get more people to plant these hybrids so that they can think about them as, as viable wine grapes. The more people that have them and use them will, will, will begin to, they'll begin to consider that um, from a more imaginative perspective. So I, I get what you're saying and I, I hope that it's relevant to what we're doing and, and what happens in Vermont in the coming years. No, that's a really good point. I, I think it would especially benefit new and emerging regions like Vermont. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny now that I've, you know, 
gone down this path and and embraced it in different ways like not listing varieties on our labels and things like that i mean the conversations that i have it's just it's like stupefying it's like really it shows how enslaved we are to variety like it's amazing like people are just like i how do i list this on our wine list and i'm like i don't know red wine like centralis red wine from lopez vineyard does that count? Like, does yeah. would people not order it if they if there wasn't like a name, a grave name attached to that? Like, I don't know. I don't understand well, your question. Like, it, what that's have you what found? Called. Why don't you name it what, what it's called? I, what, I mean, what people have are you... desperate to know what the variety is so that they can like have a handle that they have heard before. You know, it's that it's a it's it's a psychological crutch, is what it is. I've realized it's not. It doesn't give them any real knowledge, and it doesn't. I mean, I mean to to be able to list that on your wine list doesn't i mean maybe maybe it does because of how you've organized your wine list but then it begs the question of like you know maybe you need to rethink how you organize your wine list because there's so many wines that don't have single varieties and are weird things you know especially more and more like if you want to have a interesting wine list i feel like you just need to you know be like it needs to have some flexibility in your be like you can't be tied to this i mean to the point that i was there was, um, I, I mean, I, I got into like a, almost like an argument where they were like, well, we just want to list the variety. Is that okay? And I was like, well, I mean, it's your wine list. I can't stop you, but like, you're basically violating like my whole premise for making this wine. <laughs> like, um, and, and in fact, I had one, I, we have one that we, we literally don't know what the variety is. And, and this has brought up some really interesting things. That's where it, it gets really like tense where they're like, well, can, can we just say it's this? And I'm like, but I don't know that it is that like you'd just be making that up. And like the whole point, like the reason we named this wine lost is found is to embrace uncertainty. Like it is, it is li like the whole concept behind the wine is to not connect you to a variety that is this comfortable thing that you think you understand the wine with right. and that it's okay to just taste the wine as on its own terms. And, and they were still like kind of confused, like, but, can we is this can is we this list a, something for, yeah like, right, no right. you absolutely can't sorry just don't the have you always done it this way or have you had no no so like the first first two years of centralis uh you know it was pretty standard you know I'm, i was on a learning curve myself my i mean not learning curve like i'm i've arrived at anything but i just you know my my thoughts and values have changed around it and and uh and so by year 2021 and 2022 all no varieties are listed and also, you know, we, you know, I'm doing wines that are co-ferments with other things. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, th I mean, that's part of it as well is like, I want these to be ex unique experiences that people just approach on their own terms because it's, yes, there are grapes in it, but there are also prickly pears, for example, or pomegranates and apples or, you know, things like that. Um, and right. Have, it, have you found an impact on what you're able to place at different different locations um no, based on I, that fact i think it confuses the the trades folk more because like if if people can just get in a situation where they can taste it like it might cause a momentary like what and then they'll be like and then i'll be like we'll try it and then they'll be like oh that's good you know and it's like and then the confusion is gone you know it's like oh right, okay right. whatever i don't care that i don't know what the name is like i like it you know yeah. and so it's that simple you know if you just once you, yeah, move beyond that. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and and it's not just this, uh, you know, I mean, again, it's for ecological reasons. It's for the things I was talking about, like having a process of change and adaptation be the norm for the wine business rather than this like death grip attachment to the same clones for 200 years that, you know, are no longer viable in our climate. And, you know. Um, right. And, and you're up work. against, and you're up against, you know, centuries of history of single varietal wines being the best representation of what is possible and, and field blends and quote unquote table wines being a secondary and tertiary product. Right. Well, so, so that, that is the, that is the myth that we all right, believe, but right, the reality right, is right. like varietal labeling started in like the sixties, seventies is really when it started. I mean, Mandavi really made Cabernet put Cabernet on the map as a variety. Right. Um, and, and prior to that, you know, we had 
old world labeling, which was by location, which could have included any number of things. And, you know, even if it was a single variety, like in Burgundy, a Burgundy red was like, you know, a number of clones of Pinot Noir. It was still like sure. nobody knew it as Pinot Noir. Or, so right, or really Bordeaux this, being Yeah, and so really of, nobody ever knew wines prior things, right? to the 20th century as a variety. Um, you know, right, might, so decades, you know, the, I suppose, of... of yes, decades. <laughs> of, right, right. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the of, thing. It's like the trend in historically is the opposite of what we're at now. And I think yeah, that's yeah, another, yeah. you know, liberating thing for people to realize is like, oh, okay, yeah, like this is actually just a real blip in, in time. This, right, right. It's so hard to get there, though. It's so hard to get yeah. to that perspective. But yeah, yeah it's uh, no, it's a good point. And I love that you do it. I would love to see it more here. But we're we're like like in a lot of ways, not all the ways, but in a lot of ways, Vermont wine is trying to fit into this um, uh, into this template where we're, you know, and this is not everybody, but a lot of folks for the last 20 years have been trying to identify what our variety is, like what our 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 workhorse variety is. And so that's why there's so much Marquette planted here. And and I don't know that is the only reason, but it feels like that's a majority of the reason. And why does it have to be Marquette, right? Why don't we, why don't we be a little more open to, uh, yeah. you know, mul multiple varieties being planted here and, and seeing how they interact together rather than finding one that represents a specific flavor profile that we want to mass produce. You know, it's not as fun. It's not as interesting, but I guess it's probably maybe the most profitable, um, which is the only reason I could think that it would be pursued like it has been but uh, yeah i would prefer a little more ambiguity yeah I, I mean i appreciate um what you're doing there in vermont and I, I mean are there are there any closing thoughts i really you know have you let me put it this way working with vines obviously for me is is a, a therapeutic thing because i'm doing it on a small small scale even though it's a commercial small scale do you have you found that you're still getting the therapeutic benefit of of being with the vines in the vineyard and and doing that work to be totally honest with you it's it's the exact same thing in a different in a different way um mm. at, at the beginning of this when we when we you know when we first started talking today i i told you about the kind of the uh, mental health benefits of being out in the in the vineyard and doing the work uh that kind of separated me from from the difficulty of of the the pandemic and life and reality inside of it now okay life is still a little different but building the business is the same kind of mental activity that was represented by working in the vines um at the beginning of the pandemic so it's it's what i put my everyday into um and it keeps it keeps my mind going and occupied. It keeps my body moving and working. So absolutely. I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of path to the same goal, which is, you know, trying to be fulfilled and, and the business and, and working with the people that I work with and doing the work that we do and driving the industry and meeting the, the pioneers of the industry and, and trying to assist the drivers. That's what, that's what keeps me kind of focused and, and, um, and keeps my, my, uh, mentality healthy. So yes, it still does. I don't, I don't think it's for the same exact reason. Um, but, but I think it may even be, uh, more fulfilling because I'm, I'm able to do it with so many other people, like a network of tons of other people, yourself included. Yeah, that is a really lovely thing. I mean, I, 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 I feel like maybe the other thing that we've lost uh, in our modern approach to agriculture often is the sense that it's actually a communal activity. That's a very social activity because you need so many hands to participate, to make it happen, you know, at any scale beyond just a backyard scale, you know? Yeah. And oh my God. You're one of this whole thing. I was pruning by myself pretty much all winter. And I was like, what have I got myself into? <laughs> pruning right. by yourself is an unpleasant activity. But yeah. you just throw one other person in and now you're not pruning. You're just, you're talking across vines for yeah. five hours or whatever it is. And you forget that your hands are going to fall off and you forget about <laughs> all the difficult stuff involved. So, but yeah, oh, it, the, the community of it is huge. I mean, in every single aspect of the work. Well, if it's, if it's any um, comfort or just, you know, maybe rubbing it in your face rather than the opposite of, you know, <laughs> maybe the opposite of comfort. We've got some buds pushing already here. 
Okay, good, it's, good. Yeah, January thirty first. Holy 31st. shit! Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, wow. Well, that's funny you say that because I've heard, and I don't know how much you're willing to say, but I've heard that you're in the future. You're potentially going to be in a colder climate, working on <laughs> right. colder you're vines. Get the last laugh on this. Yeah, one. exactly. <laughs> you're going to see this California boy <laughs> right. shivering in the, yeah. in the in February in America. <laughs> with blue hands uh with a like a tongue that won't work right right um yeah no i hope to i hope yeah that's to. not going to be good for the podcast <laughs> i know right that's right uh, or maybe it will i'll just speak less and uh, <laughs> let my guests speak more is there any anything else that you wanted to mention anything we didn't cover that you you know want to say about vermont vineyards or or just your own philosophy of of doing this no, I don't think so. I mean, now if anybody, you know, if anybody listening has any questions, like reach out, I'm happy to answer them. I hope I represented it well. Well, good. Yeah, no, you definitely did. And thanks for, thanks for talking. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, I, I, I can't wait to see how this develops because it sounds like it's like growing and developing and a new thing for you in a lot of ways. And, and so, I'm, I'm, you know, just excited to see where, where you'll be in a few years. Um, well, thank you so yeah. much. That's that's super kind, and uh, I really appreciate it. And and thanks again for giving me the opportunity to, to be on here and and spend some time with you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did and would like to support this podcast, please do. There is a Patreon link in the show notes where you can subscribe with a monthly, very low subscription to add monetary support, or Please subscribe on your feed, whatever, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe and follow this podcast so that you will automatically download it when each new episode comes out. That's one of the few metrics that we can measure to see the support and, and listenership of this. And otherwise, if you're already listening, subscribe, support, whatever, uh, just a long time listener, haven't done anything, please uh, do a review any positive review with five stars and a nice word is fantastic and helpful and really improves the algorithmic performance of this podcast. So thank you so much.